Father in heaven, we just thank you again for this special time. And Lord, our heart's desire is that today you would bless us, you'd refresh us. God, I know that it is in your heart to bless your people. Lord, you want to pour out your favor upon us, so we pray that our hearts would be receptive, God, to what you want to do. Thank you so much for this communion experience. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, that this isn't a drudgery, but this is a wonderful privilege you've given to your people. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Name of the sermon is called The Final Love Story. The Final Love Story. Now, we're not going to be talking about the final love story. That's what eternity is all about. Uh, but this is the, the final love story of the series that we have been doing, Love Stories in the Bible. Love Stories in the Bible. I hope you have your Bibles because we're going to be needing them today. You know, I was listening to the Sabbath school, and I really appreciate our Sabbath school teachers. And uh, they were talking about the race. You often hear about that, the Christian race, right? You read about it in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and the Bible talks about how we're on a race. I have come to the conclusion about something, and that is this. The Christian race is not a 5K. Amen. It is not a marathon. Amen. It is not a color run. It is not a uh, tough mutter. Amen. The Christian race is comparable with only one kind of run that I believe comes close to it. Running with the bulls. How many people know what running with the bulls is? Okay, now church family, I don't want you to get mad at me, but I'm going to tell you guys something. It's no longer a secret. I have now placed a new item on my bucket list. I want to run with the bulls in Spain. And I've checked out the dates. July 4, July 6 to the 14th. Um, and it is completely free, um, except for the ambulance drive. About 50 people have been killed since 1910. It's not too bad, right? Uh, they did take 200 people to the ambulance last year during the bull run. Um, but most people actually enjoy that. And I was really thinking about the Christian race, and I was thinking to myself, okay, you know, it's not like a 5K when you're running and you get a little, you know, ribbon at the end or a medal. Uh, the Christian race is a run where run or die, yes. right? <laughs> Move forward or perish. And I really believe God is calling us each and every day to keep making advances forwards for his glory. Amen? And thank God for his justification and his righteousness that covers us during those times that we fall. God picks us back up and he says, keep on going. Amen? And that's what I'm excited about because I believe Sirius is heading in the right direction. As you guys know, last week we announced... The beginning of our Patterson church plant, that will take place at the end of May, the beginning of June. You know, that means only two months. As I told you before last week, we have secured a church. God has blessed us, and we're now going to start making preparations. This is going to require missionaries from our church to take up the mantle of ministry and head out over there. It's going to be a small church at first, but I believe God is going to grow it. It's going to be a time of reaching out to others. Our first picture of Adventism that we want to the Patterson community is going to be the health message. I've been studying councils out, and this is the entering wedge. We want people to know we are there to help them, to bless them. Amen? 
So if you're thinking about, okay, what new adventure does God want to put me on? I want you to start praying about this, okay? Uh, this is going to require sacrifice. This is going to require bravado. Some of you may not return back alive. No, I'm just kidding. That may be the case. But either way, God is calling us to keep moving forward. Amen? I believe in the Bible when it says we can hasten the second coming of Jesus and every soul that is one, every church that is set up, every time the gospel message is preached, we are one step closer to the second coming. Amen? And entering this world of sorrow, I want it to end. I want Jesus to come back and take us home. And he's yearning for that same desire, right? All right. name of the sermon is called The Final Love Story. And we've been covering love stories in the Bible. Last week we talked about uh, perhaps the, the Bible's most powerful evangelistic couple. And do you remember their names? Oh, you got that, Carmen. Aquila and Priscilla. You've been paying attention. Very good. Aquila and Priscilla. Right? We learned about them and how we saw their, their process of growth. Right? They started off connecting with Paul. Then they began to follow Paul. And then they began to win Apollos. And the Bible says they eventually had a house or church in their house. God really led this couple in spiritual growth and development. And God is calling us into that same kind of experience. Today we're going to be looking at a different kind of love story, okay? Now, I'm going to ask a question. If you can keep your answer short. How many men here, by the raising of their hand, propose to their wife in a unique way? Raise your hand. And a unique way means more than just saying, hey, honey, let's get married, okay? <laughs> one person proposed to the wife in, the uni in a unique way. One person. Okay. Uh, Ted, really quickly, why don't you tell us? Okay. And by the way, this is a contest, so go ahead. Tell us how you proposed to sweet Georgia. Okay, wonderful. Ted, you're a stud. Anybody else? Uh, yes. Proposed over you proposed over the phone. <laughs> Okay, and <laughs> I guess that's kind of unique, <laughs> sort of, okay. <laughs> she was in military school? You're going to be separated? Did you speak romantically to her, or were you just like, you were on your knees in the phone, <laughs> okay, very good. Okay, Tom, how about you? How did you propose to your wife? <laughs> okay. Wow, that's bold. Your church reputation would have been on the line right there. Right? All right. Let's take one more person. Come on, David Tank. Did you propose to Sarah in a very unique way? Oh. <laughs> I guess that's unique, huh? <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, I've actually had some friends recently. I want to share an experience. I had some friends recently uh, who invited me to their wedding that's coming up. And they sent me this leak. You know, these days, people are, like, very advanced and it's very technological. So they have this wedding uh, website set up, and it has a link. And they actually recorded the proposal on YouTube. And so I was watching this, and it was very, it's like a 15-minute proposal. Okay, and it was all the buildup was what it was. And so it started off with the, the lady driving with her friend. She's like, why are we on this drive? And as they were driving in this vineyard, all of a sudden they started coming across these signs that were set up. And she was reading those signs, and there was a hidden camera 
in the car. She was reading all these signs, and as she was reading these signs, she's just like, what is this talking about? You know, the one thing is, how come women most don't not, do not know when they're about to be proposed? It's not like these things normally happen, right? But here they are. Here she was. She was driving with her friend. She's reading all these, like, love notes that were on these giant signs in this vineyard that they were driving through. And all of a sudden, her friend then pulls into this uh, sort of grassy hill. And then she gets out of the car. They start walking towards this area. And they walk toward this area. And there's this uh, symphony band that is playing with violin music. And she's walking up there in the video, the whole thing. And she was like, <gasps> you know, she's just crying as she's walking in. And her um, boyfriend, now fiance, walked up to her. And uh, he began to talk to her. And it was all recorded. And uh, he actually, he took out a little ukulele and began to sing it to her. It's very cute. And then he got on his knees and proposed to her, and she was just crying and sobbing. But then, you know what was so unique? They did something that you don't really hear too much of. As soon as the proposal was done, he sat her down in a chair, and he began to wash her feet. They had a communion service right there. Now, for uh, most of the world, we'd probably think, what in the world is going on? Why is he washing her feet? Uh, but for those who understand more about what the Bible is teaching, we begin to understand this was actually an intimate experience that Jesus had with his own disciples. Everybody take your Bible. Let's go to John chapter 13. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. I believe John chapter 13, starting with verse 1 and 2, is going to be verses that when you read it, you're going to sense the presence of angels. There's something so unique about John chapter 13. It's almost this bit of sorrow as you're reading the first few, cha- first few verses of John chapter 13. Uh, at the same time, you, you sense there is love there. John chapter 13 is recording the last few hours of Jesus' life. The Gospel of John, half of it is on the the last six months of his life, and the the last third of it is actually on the last few hours of his life. Out of all the other Gospels, the book of John was quite different because John decided to focus on perhaps the most vulnerable moments of the life of Christ, those moments where love was the most strongest. And so when you're reading John chapter 13, as you begin to read it, it, it's almost as if the, uh, the, the tenor of John, the gospel of John, just changes. And as you're reading John chapter 13, it's almost as if you're drawn into that scene. Take a good look at John chapter 13 right here. It is amazing when you're reading it. Look what the Bible says. Now before the feast of Passover... When Jesus knew his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. These verses are quite unique out of the entire Gospel of John. Uh, It's almost as if as you're reading it, you can sense something is about to change. The life of Christ and the life of his disciples was about to be permanently altered 
And in these last few moments of Christ's life, the Bible here records through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what was actually in the heart and mind of Jesus during that experience. Take a good look what the Bible says right here. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come, Throughout the whole Gospel of John, he says, my hour has not come, my hour has not come. But now the most significant hour had come. Jesus recognized the culmination of Old Testament hopes and the New Testament future was converging upon this very time. The hour had come that would bring eternity past and eternity future to this very moment. Jesus understood the hour had come. The hour where he would be tested. The hour where he would feel a sorrow no one has ever felt and no one will ever felt, feel to that degree. This is where the heart of God was truly exposed to this world. The Bible says this, when Jesus knew his hour had come that he should depart from this world. That he, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the what? to the end. That last phrase teaches us that in the life of the disciples, the time that he had that communion with the disciples, three and a half years that he walked with those disciples, regardless of their flaws and their backslidings and their betrayals and even their, their, the sins that were in their lives, the Bible teaches us that he loved them all the way until his last living breath. It didn't change. The love of Christ for his disciples did not change, and that love is still available and accessible to each and every one of us today. Amen. The Bible tells us he loved them to the end, even when he was most betrayed by these disciples. And here he is in the last few moments of his life, and he needs to communicate to them perhaps one of the, the best lessons he could ever communicate to these disciples. This is it. He's sitting down at this table, realizing in a few hours, everything was going to change. And so the, the lessons he had to communicate had to be such that they would permanently stay with the disciples, something that would not change, and they would it could be completely transformed by these moments as they would begin to reflect upon it later on in life. He then does something unusual. But take a good look at what John chapter 13 says prior to what he, what's, what's about to take place, okay? John chapter 13, the scene is still being set up. Look at verse 2. It's very interesting. You see what is in the heart of Jesus right here. Now look at verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to what? Betray him. Notice this. This is an intentional contrast. It even says in the Gospel of Luke chapter 22 that Satan entered into the heart of Judas. Now let me ask you a question. Is Satan omnipresent? Is he omnipresent? Can he be everywhere at once? No, he cannot. So if he, being a wise general, wants to cause the most amount of harm based upon his limited presence, he is going to find a place that is going to inflict the most amount of damage. And do you know where he goes? The Bible tells us he enters into the heart of Judas. Judas was supposed to be the treasurer of the group. 
the guy that had all the, took care of all the money. And Judas was somebody who would oftentimes criticize Jesus and the other disciples. He would not be changed. And here the Bible sets up this scene. It says, here, this is what's in the heart of Jesus. And the Bible then says, this is what was in the heart of Judas. Satan set up his throne in the heart of Judas. Side by side, a man that was filled with the Spirit of God and another man that was filled with the Spirit of the devil. The Bible is setting up the scene right here. Jesus is before the very enemy who has caused the destruction of this world, who has led countless angels to rebel. And here in this quiet, intimate moment, he is standing before Judas, who is possessed of the devil, and he is standing before him and the other disciples, and the whole universe is watching this scene. Can you just imagine it? The players that were there, the disciples thought, oh, this is just some normal dinner we're having with Jesus. They had no clue what was actually there and the characters that were involved in this, in this setting. So while this was all taking place, while the whole universe was observing this scene, while the disciples arguing about who's the greatest, Jesus then does something that is quite unusual. Take your Bible, let's see what happens next. John chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he had come from God and was going to God, now notice this, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. Verse 5, after that he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. The Bible then tells us something quite unusual, something that we might have heard in another sermon before. Here Jesus is, he's right there, sitting with these disciples. There he is, before Judas, who is filled with the spirit of the devil. And he's sitting there, and all the disciples there, he knows what's about to happen in the next few hours. The disciples have no clue, and he thinks to himself, I know what I'm going to do. He gets up, and the Bible says he actually, going over to the side, girded himself with a towel. And then he went over to this basin, picked up this basin, and began to uh, pour some water into it. And as he's pouring the water into it, all the disciples are watching because they understood this was supposed to be the job of the servant, the slave. Now, what is so interesting about this, the word towel is the Greek word lention, or lention. Oftentimes it was used in uh, the Greek language or the Greek culture to describe the towel a servant or slave would wear. Uh, there's this story, a famous story about Kaluga, the uh, uh, emperor, the Roman emperor, who was wanting to really uh, sort of humble his senators. So what he told his senators, because there was always in the Roman culture a, a conflict between the Roman uh, emperor and the senate. They were constantly battling back and forth. And he wanted to humble his senators, told them, if you are going to meet before me, I want you to dress in a lention. He made them wear these towels that belonged to the slaves. And then you know what he made them do? He made them wash his feet. Because he was trying to show the Roman senators, I'm the one in charge. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus does something quite contradictory to that. He himself takes upon that slave's or servant's mantle. And the Bible tells us that he began to wash the feet of these disciples. Jesus here understood 
that this is the moment that he needed to instruct his disciples about humility, about selflessness, about setting others before you. Out of all the lessons he could have taught the disciples about the future, about the book of Acts and some of the instruction they would need later on, he decides that a selfless act of service would be the best way to communicate his most strongest, powerful, permanent lesson to them. And that's what he begins to do. Can you imagine all of heaven watching the scene? They're watching the king of the universe, the king of kings, bowing down before these sinful disciples, taking off their sandals and begin to clean their toes. That's uncomfortable for most people. I never forgot when I had to do a communion service, I was visiting a church. And, uh, you know, when you visit a church for a new time, first time, sometimes you don't, you, know, you don't know anybody and you're just there and you're thinking to yourself, oh, wow, you know, I wonder who I can wash the feet of, right? And you're kind of embarrassed. You don't know how to, like, ask people. So I was visiting this church and it was communion and I was like, uh-oh, hopefully someone will come up and talk to me. And so I was there and I was sitting next to this guy. He was new to the church. And the pastor was talking about foot washing and the communion service. And as he was talking about it, the man next to me, he started shaking. And I was like, are you okay? And he's like, no, I'm not. I go, what's the big deal? And he's like, I have never touched the feet of somebody else like that. <laughs> and I said, oh, it's no big deal. And he's like, no, it is a big deal. I don't want to do that. And he was literally, literally shaking. He was shaking like he was an older man, but he was just trembling. He did not want to do this. But eventually he became convicted, and I was like, I was like, hey man, I can wash your feet. And he's like, okay. And literally it went like this. We sat down. And as I was, you know, he was taking off his sock. I took out the towel, put his feet into the, the basin. He was shaking. The guy was shaking. And I was just trying to be careful and, you know, barely touching his feet, you know. Because I realized it was, it was such a, a traumatic experience for him. He had never done something like that. To him, the idea of washing someone's foot was almost revolting and disgusting. And so here Jesus is doing that very act. You know, we have problems about, like, cleaning the, uh, changing the diapers of little children. And what Jesus is doing in this very experience, he is washing the gunk out of the, uh, the feet of the disciples. He's cleaning it all up. And can you imagine what is going through everybody's mind? And as Jesus is humbling himself more and more, Satan is stirring up the spirit of Judas. By the way, do you know Judas was the first disciple to have his feet washed? Peter was one of the last ones. John was the last one. But what is so interesting is this. When you read the Gospels, if you rewind, you read the story about how when Mary Magdalene came in to wash the feet of Jesus, and G Judas says, hey, this should have been sold and given to the poor. It could have been used for a different cause. What is so interesting about that story, it is then that Judas gets up and he heads over to the Pharisees and Sadducees and says, I will betray him. That began his betrayal. 
And now here Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to wash your feet first, Judas. And as he's washing the feet of a man who was possessed with the devil, his enemy, the man that's about to cause him being crucified, he's washing the feet of his enemy on earth, knowing full well what is in his mind, knowing full well what he is going to do. And here he is, he's washing, he's cleaning his feet giving Judas this privilege. And you can just imagine the heart of Judas being thrilled over and over and over again as he is seeing the humility of Christ. But at the same time, he was resisting it, fighting it, hardening his heart against this. You know, it's so interesting. I was doing a study. When Jesus went into the synagogue in the book of Mark, the first time he went into the synagogue, the, uh, there was a demon-possessed man who came in. The demon-possessed man came in, and Jesus was casting out the demon, and all of a sudden the demon says this to him, We know who you are. You are Jesus of Nazareth. Now, he said that in front of all the Pharisees and Sadducees. When you fast forward in the Gospel of Mark, another time when Jesus is casting out a demon before a man that was completely destroyed, lost his manhood, and as Jesus is casting out the demon, the demon says to him, we know who you are, you are Jesus, son of the most high God. Now I want you to pay attention to this. The demons are intentionally bringing out a picture that is much different than the picture the people were expecting, to the Pharisees and Sadducees, the demons were saying this about Jesus. Oh, yeah, he's from Nazareth. He's too low. You don't want to worship this Messiah. And then here he is before the demoniac, and this time the demon says, oh, you're supposed to be Jesus, son of the most high God. What are you doing here next to this filth? The devil tries to present the wrong pictures of who Christ is to us. And that's why we need to go back to the scriptures. That's why we need to go back and study what's been given to us and the light that God has shared, and we will see the beauty of Christ again. And we will fall deeper and deeper in love with him. Amen? So in this scene, as Jesus is watching the feet, the Bible then, then gets us to another intimate moment where Peter, as his very feet are being washed, look what the scriptures are saying next. This is very remarkable right here. John chapter 13. Verse 6, then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? He was offended at the humiliation of Christ. To him, this was too low. A, a man like Jesus, a teacher, the so-called Messiah, should not be doing something. You know, if I was there, I'd been like, Peter... First of all, you should have done that first, right? There should have been no excuse. And here you are, you're rebuking Jesus. But as Jesus is washing the feet of Peter, look what the Bible then says next. It's remarkable. Jesus answered and said to him, verse 7, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Then Peter said, he switches, Peter said to him, you shall never, Peter then says to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered and said, if I do not wash you, now notice this, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus told Peter, if you're not willing to come here and be, reach the point of humiliation where I'm at, he says, you do not belong to me. 
And then watch what he says next. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Peter recognized, wait a minute, I can't lose Jesus. And he said, whatever it takes, wash all of me as well. Ladies and gentlemen, that's amazing when you realize as messed up as Peter was, the thought of him being separated from Jesus really hurt him. Now notice what Jesus says next. It's amazing. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. In other words, those who have been baptized. Foot washing is merely, and you've heard this before plenty of times, foot washing is the continuation of what God has done for you. And he says, he who has been bathed. In fact, the Greek word is different than the other Greek word of wash and wash. He says, he who's been bathed, in other words, he's who's been baptized and is following me right now, and though he may get dirty, and there may be the irritations and the sins of this world that may cling to him, this ceremony that I have set up, foot washing, will continue to clean him. Amen. Now notice what he says next. But you are clean, but not all of you. Jesus here was pointing out something to these disciples, and that was they needed to continue with this foot washing ceremony. It was designed to prepare them for the communion service that was about to take place. He was drawing these disciples into a very intimate moment, and this time of humility was designed to take them away from the cares and the stresses and the anxieties of this world and draw them to the spirit of heaven itself, the experience of heaven. Humility is a powerful thing, amen? amen? I heard one president put it this way. He stood up before a lot of people and he says, my greatest strength is my humility. Maybe you missed that. Yeah. The very time you proclaim your humility, you've lost it, right? But Jesus here is doing something. You know, a lot of people may even say they're humble, even talk like they do, but ultimately it's actions that speak louder than words, right? Actions that speak louder than words. I heard this story about Booker T. Washington. You ever knew, you know who Booker T. Washington is? If you know your history, you should, right? He was born and raised a slave. He became very educated and eventually gained a lot of notoriety, a notoriety and he became very famous because he was educated and he was uh, really speaking on some social issues. He eventually became head of Tuskegee, Tuskegee University. And while he was walking down the street one day, right, this famous educated man who was now well known in that area, in that community, he was walking down the street when a older, wealthy, white woman saw him, and she says to him, boy, I need somebody to go chop some wood in my backyard. Now, she had no idea who he was. And him being very humble, he said, and he had some books in his hand, he says, all right, I'll do that. And so he goes to the back, and he begins cutting down some wood. And this woman's daughter was there, and she was a college student, and she was just in her house, and she looks out into the, through the backyard window, and she sees Booker T. Washington. He's in the backyard, and he's cutting down a tree. And then he's, she's just so shocked. You know what she does? She tells her mom. She's like, what's he doing back here? And then she's like, well, who is he? And she's like, mom, that's Booker T. Washington. The woman races out, and she apologizes. She felt so bad, and she's like, why did you do this? 
And he said this to her, he said, I'd do anything for a friend. What was so interesting is that the woman felt so burdened by this experience, so touched, that she became one of the, uh, you should say, one of the, the best financiers of some of the projects that he would do. And she also got other people involved as well. Why? Because of a man who was willing to be humble and didn't make a lot of noise about it. And here Jesus is, and he's washing the feet of the disciples, and the Bible says that as he was washing the feet of the disciples, one of the disciples could not understand the humility of Christ. To him, it was like, why are you doing this? You know, oftentimes as we're participating in the foot washing service, it's the time we're washing the feet of each other. It is not a comfortable thing. It was never designed to be comfortable. I know, and I, and I joke about this, about some of our deacons, we make sure that the, the basins are sterilized. Clean water, a dash of chlorine. We've all taken a bath this morning, hopefully. Wearing clean socks, hopefully. And we take it off and we put our feet and it begins to be washed. And in some way, that is supposed to rewind and take us back to that experience where Jesus was washing the feet of all his disciples your feet as well. Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us to participate in something, foot washing, something that he said, that if you were to do this, you yourselves would be blessed. How many people want to be blessed by God? Do you believe in the word of God, yes or no? Then I want you to pay attention to the words of Christ right here. Do you know what I have done to you? This is Jesus speaking. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher, is Jesus your Lord and teacher, ladies and gentlemen? Amen. Look what he says next. Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For if I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you, most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he greater than the one who sent him. Now notice this. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Ladies and gentlemen, do you want the blessing of God today? God is calling you to participate in a service. It's not something we force everyone to do or force anybody to do. You have a right not to be part of this. But I don't know about you. I know for myself, I believe the words of Christ here. When he says, you be blessed, I want that blessing. I want every blessing God can give. Do you want that blessing, ladies and gentlemen? You may not feel like you belong to this church it doesn't matter. You may feel like you're the most sinful person in the world. God is still inviting you to be part of something, to open your heart to God and let his righteousness cover you, clean you. God is inviting us to participate in the foot washing today. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we're going to be heading out to do foot washing today. And Lord, we're coming back to participate in the communion. Thank you, Lord, that all of this was set up providentially for us to be here today to receive this blessing. You don't want us to leave without a blessing, God. And so, Lord, we pray as we participate in this service that you would fulfill your words. that says, blessed are you if you do it. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.